an important step on the Noble Eightfold Path is right effort. And right effort has a very particular meaning in the terminology of the Dhamma, the Buddha's teaching. Right effort does not just mean everything one tries. It means particularly and specifically the effort of purification. I mentioned purification last night. It's an ever-recurring theme because practically everything that we are doing is geared towards that. It's designed towards that. Every moment of meditation, every moment of contemplation, every moment of mindfulness, all of that's geared towards purification. The purified mind is a mind which doesn't have any obstructions, any hindrances. It flows with what is. It doesn't reject and resent. The methods which we're using are all designed for that, whether it's calm or insight. Now, calm and insight are the two directions of meditation. I've briefly mentioned them before we did the contemplation. And I will mention them again at another time. But all that what we're doing, all is for purification, and all that is right effort. Now, right effort does not necessarily mean right results. And this is a very important aspect of meditation. No result thinking. The achievement syndrome. Let it go. There's nothing to achieve. All of us are already what we would like to be. All we have to do is let go of everything that is obstructing the view. So, wanting to get anything is the way of the marketplace mentality, which we all know only too well. Actually, we are geared towards that. We're brought up in it. We are constantly confronted with it. It's very difficult to recognize it when... One is constantly living in it. The marketplace mentality is getting something. Getting somewhere. Becoming somebody. Having something. On the spiritual path, it's the opposite. This is the most telling difference. One could say on the spiritual path, it's not being somebody, it's being nobody. It's letting go. Opening up and letting go. When we want to keep something, we have to 
really close our hand into a fist to keep it. When we want to let go, we are opening it up. And as we are opening up, we can become aware of all that's around us. So letting go is the key word. And in meditation, yes, determination, I want to give my best, I want to do my best, but not what am I going to get out of it. Because I take the mind off doing one's best. We can't do two things at the same time. Either I'm going to think about concentrating and actually concentrate, or I can think about what I want to get out of it. It's a great um, danger and very human and constantly recurring. And that's why I'd like to warn you about it. When you see it arising, creeping up on you, like, I've been doing this for five years, why can't I do it any better? Or, the one next to me seems to be doing all right, why can't I? Or, anything like that, just let it go. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. It's just being there. Being with what is actually happening. And all that's happening is that we're sitting here and breathing. The rest is all thinking about something. What's really happening is sitting and breathing. The heart's going. Most people don't notice that. It's not a good meditation subject. Breath is. Right effort is always conducive to happiness. Whether it actually has another result or not is immaterial. Having known that one gives one's best already produces happiness. Having known that the effort that one is making is geared towards a higher ideal already produces happiness. We don't have to look for a specific result. This is something else that the meditation, whether it's concentrate or not, immediately provides, namely, good karma. Right effort makes good karma. Trying to meditate is right effort. Good karma something that builds up like a lavine. It becomes bigger and bigger and supports us. Now with right effort there are some other aspects which are outside of meditation. Last night I talked about mindfulness, the seventh step on the Noble Eightfold Path. Right effort is the sixth step. They really go together. Right effort is sort of the starting, the trigger. And mindfulness can result. If we use right effort, 
in all our endeavors. We will constantly be rewarded by the knowledge that we are overcoming instincts and impulses and are actually really becoming our own best friend. The mindfulness that we have been using and talking about has been the body in the meditation that's the breath or the walking and the content of thought which is the labeling. Same goes for outside of the meditation. There's another aspect of ourselves which is extremely important neither body nor thought but emotion now that part of us is very often the criteria by which we live the thoughts come after just as much as we need to have the purification of our contents of the thoughts in the same way we have to have the purification of our emotions. Actually both go hand in hand and are intrinsically connected. And if we don't do one, the other will suffer. The Buddha gave very exactly our guidelines for this purification aspect. For our emotions, he mentioned four of them, which are the only ones worth having. All the others can be usefully discarded. Sometimes we find great argumentation about that. That's all right. Most people eventually do see that most of our emotions, if they don't fit into the four that the Buddha mentioned as the only ones worth having are creating unhappiness. It's foolishness to create unhappiness, to say the least. And when one day one comes to that conclusion and can say to oneself quite honestly without any blame attached, just objectively, I'm not going to continue that foolishness of making myself unhappy. That's a very good starting point. Obviously, won't immediately have the desired result, but it opens the pathway. We've got to find the opening to the pathway somewhere. Last night I mentioned the purification in the aspect of thinking. That when we have a content of thought which we are obviously 
can recognize as being unwholesome to substitute with the wholesome. Right effort in that aspect was described by the Buddha in this way. Not to let an unwholesome thought arise which has not yet arisen. Not to let an unwholesome thought continue which has already arisen. To make a wholesome thought arise which has not yet arisen. To make a wholesome thought continue which has already arisen. All it means is that we don't have to believe our thoughts. Every meditator should know that because whatever arises in meditation most of it is totally unbelievable and not only that it's totally unnecessary so if we take that knowledge into daily life we have a real good handle on those which are called the supreme efforts those four which we might talk about in more detail at another time I want to now mention the four emotions as you can see we have four ways of using our mind correctly not letting the unwholesome arise not let it continue make the wholesome arise make the wholesome continue equally we have four ways of using our emotions This kind of exact teaching of the Buddha is extremely helpful. Their memory bridges. They help us to remember. Most people have no problem remembering four things. But even if we only remember one thing, it's good too, it's enough. Let nothing unwholesome be in the mind and get loving-kindness into the heart that would be remembering one thing for each one for mind one for heart but again we have four metta karuna mudita upeka loving-kindness compassion joy with others and equanimity the four supreme emotions they're also called the four brahma viharas Vihara is a place to live and the Brahmas are the gods the four divine abidings if we actually perfect these four we have a paradise in our own heart we don't have to go anywhere we don't have to hope for the future to perfect them is of course an enormous task but all of us without any exception or any doubt can practice to arouse that skill within because it's a skill like any other and this is the great error that is usually made when people think or talk about love they don't think of it as a skill they think of it as a reaction 
a reaction to someone who's lovable and preferably loves us. It's not that at all. That's, so to say, taking potluck and very often being disappointed. It's a skill and it's a quality of the heart. It has absolutely nothing to do with other people. And this is where the difficulty comes in for most people because they think that love has to be an interaction. It has to be a relationship. Just like our mind is capable of thought and analysis, logic and understanding, and doesn't have to wait for somebody to come around so that we can use our mind logically or analytically or with understanding. It's the same with our heart. Our heart is strictly for love and compassion and we don't have to wait for anyone or anything. Unfortunately, our whole society wherever we go is geared towards teaching us how to use our minds. From kindergarten through tertiary education and then on the job we learn how to use our minds. And we're actually pretty good at it. Otherwise we wouldn't have visited the moon and would have all these fancy contractions nowadays without which nobody believes they can live anymore. Buttons everywhere. Our minds can actually create those things. But we don't have a single institution anywhere that teaches us what to do with our hearts. So we're always hoping for the best. waiting for Miss Wonderful or Mr. Handsome or whatever we're waiting for or whatever our likes and dislikes are but that's not our potential that's on a very low level our way of reacting to stimuli. When we have experienced a loving relationship within the family, it's extremely helpful to use it as a seedbed. A seedbed for the growth and the cultivation of the love in our heart. If we use it for that, it has every justification. But unfortunately, most people have the experience of the relationship within the family, one, two or three people, and want to keep that. 
afraid to lose because they are un of the opinion that love only exists when those people are around should they leave change their mind die tragedy love is lost it's actually an absurd situation there are six billion people on this planet how can love be lost when one or two or three people are lost love is the ability and quality of the heart and nothing else that's why within our personal relationships the love that we experience is not pure it's connected to fear and fear is hate not that we hate those people not at all we hate the idea of losing them and because of that the fear which arises within the heart makes the love less then it could be it's always imbued with a kind of inner dissatisfaction mothers know that very well especially when the children are still small the buddha called it the near enemy of love attachment the far enemy is hate that's easy to see but the near enemy is not so easy to see because it's so similar it appears to be real love and partially it is but the other part of it is hanging on trying to keep holding fast making it mine which doesn't mean that we can't have love in our relationships but it means that we need to recognize that that feeling in our heart is the foundation for getting the heart to expand become malleable and flexible and extend so that love is no longer an isolated occasion but the constant aspect of our emotions in the loving kindness discourse the karaniya metta sutta the buddha says just as a mother at the risk of life loves and protects her only child so one should cultivate this loving kindness to beings everywhere in the universe it's a very interesting statement especially if one has children one can immediately connect to that and see how one feels about one's own children and not about the neighbor's children if one doesn't have one's own children one can immediately find out a look at it and say how does my mother feel for me and how does she feel about others 
the difference is usually enormous. Having recognized that enormous gap between how we feel towards those people whom we call mine and towards those people whom we don't call mine, we can start working on lessening the gap. When we start lessening the gap, we will have immediate feeling of being connected with others, a togetherness in this one creation, less alienated, less separated, and certainly less threatened. When we want to actually do that, we have opportunities from morning to night. All of us meet people constantly, everywhere. How do we feel towards them? Are we talking to them from our heads or from our hearts? That's an enormous difference. Have we ever tried to talk to them from the heart rather from the head? We ask them, how are you? Do we mean it? Do we really want to know? Or are we just saying that? We often say, and often hear, have a nice day. Do we really want them to have a nice day? Is there a heart connection? Is there something behind that sentence? Or is it just a sentence? Just to be pleasant. If I want to be pleasant, it's got something to do with me. I want to be understood and appreciated. But if I want the other person to really have a nice day, then it's got something to do with the other one. I'm really thinking of the other person. In our daily confrontations, we have the challenge over and over again. We can use every single person that comes around as a learning situation. And that's actually what they are. Each single person is a learning situation. Obviously, we can't always learn the lesson perfectly. That's all right. We can always admit that this time we had difficulty. This time we couldn't manage. Rather than blaming the other person. We don't have to blame them. We don't have to blame us. There's nothing to blame. This is a human problem. It's all over this globe and always has been. If you remember your school days, your history lessons, do you remember what we learned? We learned the beginning and the ending of the wars. And we had to remember the dates. 
And if we did, we got good marks. That's what's been going on in humanity, always has. And it's going on now, at this point in time. And there's nothing to wonder about. And there's nothing to think about that it shouldn't be like that. All we have to do is look inside of ourselves and see the battles that are going on in there. And having seen those battles between what we want to get and don't get, or what we got and don't want to have, whom we love and whom we don't like, whom we resent and reject, if we see those, we know all about humanity. That's the way it works. But the meditator and the practitioner doesn't have to continue that. We don't have to live with that inner battle, with that duality of you and me, of liking and disliking, of wanting and becoming, of rejecting. None of that is necessary. We can learn. The Buddha's teaching is a practice path to learn how to do it. He gives exact instructions on the how-to, and that's where it ends. The rest is all up to us. He called himself the shower of the way. If we have somebody showing us the way, we might have stopped the car somewhere and say, how can you get to this land of the medicine Buddha? And the person tells us how to get there, and then we don't drive there. Will we ever get there? No way are we ever going to come here. The person shows us the way, and that's the end of their ability. The same with the Buddha's teaching. It's a sure of the way. But every step on that way, we have to go ourselves. The beauty of it is the fact that he showed us the way in detail. Realistically, simple, not complicated, totally connected to who we are and what we're doing. That's the beauty of it. That's what we can be grateful for. But we can only do it when we have recognition and then the wish to change. The formula is recognition, no blame, change. There's no blame attached to anything that we do or feel. It's human. Remember the history books. They've all felt like that. They're still feeling like that. They're still making war. In this century, we've had 91 wars so far. A nice record. That's humanity. And we should never think that we are exempt. No, we are humanity. 
every single one of us that actually makes peace in the heart and starts loving impersonally regardless of who's there is a peacemaker is one who creates peace for humanity it all comes out of us the whole situation on our globe is created by people and we're not divided into the bad and the good we're only divided into those who practice and those who don't that's all practicing means cultivating within us a purity of heart which is non-discriminating impersonal and non-conditional we don't make conditions to love we don't make the condition that we should be loved back we don't make any condition that the person should stick around that there is a person that it's a particular person the person is attractive that the person is clever the person is whatever we're looking for it's got nothing to do with love that's marketplace in the marketplace we pay for what we get if we have that view of love and that feeling of love and it's widespread then we give only what we can get but the real aspect of the purification and the practice on a spiritual path any spiritual path is educating our heart to be loving to be compassionate towards all that exists sure we find it easier to be loving towards animals than towards people we often have that difficulty but that's because they don't talk back people talk back that's all right we've got to learn that our daily activities help us now here at this in this retreat nobody's going to talk back and yet we're going to find it difficult to love everybody let's try it's a great chance and challenge it's a new way of looking at other people not whether they can sit better and longer than we can or whether they are actually really mindful or not that's their business or whether we've seen them somewhere before or whether they are actually listening and getting something out of this or nothing like that doesn't matter can i love them and the heart is going to have ambivalence 
to say the least. Never mind. It's a learning situation. That's what we've come here for. We want to learn something new. We wouldn't be here if all the things that we have already learned, and there are numerous things we've already learned, and all the things we've already done and experienced, would have created total inner joy and satisfaction. We wouldn't be here. So, we have this great opportunity to learn something entirely new. And it's made easier for us by the simple fact that these people aren't even talking back to us. They're not saying anything. They're um, doing exactly the same thing we're doing. So we can have a feeling of connection. Using that as a challenge, we actually have the second foundation of mindfulness. A mindfulness of our emotions. And we should also be aware of what happens there outside of meditation. Again, the body has pride of place. Being attentive to what we're doing with the body. But obviously thoughts arise and take over. Then it's the content of thought. And then emotions arise and they take over. And then it is what kind of emotion am I having? Is it love and compassion or is it resentment and reaction, rejection, dislike, boredom, disinterest? What is it? What sort of emotion is prevalent? This new challenge that we can practice here will make it possible also to know our emotions much better. And knowing them will make it possible to realize that we're only hurting ourselves when we don't love. It's not that the other person is going to suffer. suffer. Maybe they don't even know about it. We suffer. We suffer from a lack of love. We often think, and it's very common to think, that we suffer from a lack of love because we haven't been loved enough. It's very common. And then we're apt to blame our poor parents because they started the whole thing. We don't suffer from a lack of love because we're not being loved enough. That's the other person's love. We suffer from a lack of love because we're not loving enough. If we can remember that sentence and actually work with that, we're making the whole quality of our lives totally different. We suffer from a lack of love because we're not loving enough. That's all. It's got nothing to do with other people. When we start actually working on it, and we all have that capacity, we all have that ability, we all have loved 
We all know what it feels like. Feels very nice, doesn't it? So why not always do it? Very strange, isn't it? All humanity is beset with that difficulty. We all know that love is a very nice thing to have. Feels great. And yet, it's done only under certain circumstances. When we start working on it, then we can feel how our heart expands and how a measure of peace enters into the heart because the negativities, of course, have to be let go of. We can't keep those and love too. Loving others doesn't mean that one is being taken advantage of. That's a marketplace syndrome. What can anybody take advantage of when there's a feeling of warmth and togetherness in one's heart? There's nothing that another person can do about that. This is an important aspect of being able to love, to recognize the togetherness. There's one creation, and we're all part of it. And being part of this one creation should tell us that the separation which we believe in is an optical illusion. It looks as if each person is sitting here, a little heap on a separate pillow. And that's what it looks like. And which immediately, of course, brings the understanding that I am limited and have the borders of my body. And that's where I am and end. But is that really true? Is that really all there is? First of all, we have to breathe the air which is all around us. And we're all doing that. And it's the same air that we have to take in. So that's already past the boundary of this body. And then, the feeling that comes from each person is something that we actually recognize, the vibes. They're outside of this body, and they're more important in our relationship with each other than anything that has to do with the borders that we put around ourselves, the boundaries. And not only that, we can easily see that we're all made up of the same parts and we can rightly assume that we all want the same thing, inner peace and happiness. There's no doubt that we all want that, 
and that we're all made up of the same parts in the body. So where's the separation? A separation only comes about through the thinking process of I want, I don't want. This is me and that is you. That makes loving more difficult because it's an effort then to find that connection. It can be found, but it's difficult. But as soon as we recognize the fact that there is no other person, that there just is existence and creation, and that we are part of it, and everybody else is too, then the effort is much less. Because it's the only way that we can feel harmony. Harmony within ourselves, harmony with others. Harmonious living is dependent upon that. Certainly, I'll say again, we're not always going to be successful. But that's not the criteria. The criteria is, am I trying? Have I seen the value of it? Have I seen the great potential which is within me? And am I trying to realize that? Human beings have an enormous potential. They have the potential for enlightenment, which is the greatest potential there is, which also means total purity. We can recognize and realize that potential, but it's entirely up to each person. Compassion Its near enemy is called pity It's different Having pity From having compassion Compassion is dependent upon the fact That we've seen difficulties within ourselves We've seen already that it's difficult to be a human being and even more difficult to be a good human being. And we have already understood that that's the same for everyone. And then, having compassion for ourselves, it extends towards others. Again, with the same assistance from recognizing that we are all part of this one creation. And here, at the same time, living together. And if we don't live together, we don't live happily. And we can't go on the spiritual path, because the spiritual path wants to overcome the duality of you and me, in one instance and it wants to overcome the idea of separation so we need that look inside of ourselves recognizing what goes on in there and then having love and compassion for ourselves 
I'd like to leave that particular aspect with you as a meditation practice. At the beginning of each meditation, whether sitting or walking, give yourself love and compassion in whichever way you can do it best. You can do it as being your own best friend like we did last night. You can do it by recognizing that you're making the best possible effort. You can do it by recognizing that you have difficulties within and you accept them and are compassionate towards them. You can do it by remembering all the good things you've ever done. Whichever way it works, it's a very essential aspect of making the meditation easier and making it work better by starting out with a feeling of contentment about oneself, a feeling of gratitude that one has this opportunity. Whichever one of these possibilities works best for you, it only needs to take a few moments. A feeling of warmth towards this one person that's trying. We're going to say a little verse together about the food. And because a certain question always arises about that verse, I will preempt that. It says that we don't eat for pleasure. And the question which always arises is, isn't it supposed to taste good? No, that is not what it's meant by that. It's supposed to taste very good, and I hope it will. But what it means is that we don't use our food for um, a pleasure syndrome, but that we need it in order to stay alive. And that we should remember that. So I will say the sentence and ask you to repeat it after me. Reflecting carefully, I use this food. Not for pleasure, not for indulgence, but only for maintaining this body so that it endures, for keeping it unharmed, for supporting life, so that former feelings of hunger are destroyed. And new feelings from overeating do not arise. Then there will be for me a lack of bodily obstacles. And living comfortably. I wish you a very nice meal. <laughs>